Hey, welcome everybody. It's Sunday night. Wow, what a week. And uh, before we go anywhere, I want to make sure I say Happy Mother's Day uh, to all of the moms that are out there. May you be blessed. And you know, want to know something? We're finishing the book of Daniel tonight, and I think it is one of those passages that is going to bless anybody who uh, who goes through this message with me tonight. It's just fantastic. Again, happy Mother's Day. And I want to take out this opportunity also to remind you and invite you to the Hope for Our Times conference coming up June 25 and 26 in Huntington Beach, California. Beautiful place, but highlighted speaker this week. We have a, a whole bunch of different speakers. Some of the best in the entire country are going to be speaking at this conference. This is one that hasn't been at a, 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 a Hope for Our Times conference yet. William J. Federer, his topic is on socialism. And here it is, how the deep state capitalizes on crisis to consolidate control. Listen, I've uh, gotten to know William Federer. I've sat in his messages. And let me tell you, it is unbelievable. He is an expert on socialism. He's nationally known speaker. He's best-selling author of over 20 published books. He's president of Amera Research Incorporated, a publishing company dedicated to researching America's noble heritage. He's a former U.S. congressional candidate. Bill has appeared on C-SPAN, Fox, Hannity and Combs. Remember Hannity and Combs? O'Reilly Factor, NPR, MSNBC, ABC, Time Warner Affiliates, CBN, along with many other TV and radio stations, including with Michael Medved and Common Sense Radio with Ollie North. Listen, he is phenomenal. You're going to be super blessed. William Fetter is just one of the many speakers that we have coming. It's in Huntington Beach. Again, that's June 25 and 26. Go to hopeforourtimes.com and click on events. You'll see all of the info there that you need to register. Also, the list of various speakers are on there. And we'll have the itinerary up for each speaker here within the next few weeks. But Got something stuck here. Sorry about that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's get going. We're in the book of Daniel. And, um, and uh, listen, this passage in Daniel is going to be absolutely fantastic. So we're going to conclude the book of Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 12 uh, this evening. Just the last few verses. We're going to start in verse 8. Title of the message is simple. How the bad part ends. Isn't that great? I love the title. How the bad part ends. Because we're looking at everything that's going on. And man, uh, it's good to know how all of this bad stuff is going to come to an end. And let me tell you, it's going to be glorious. You're going to be blessed, as I mentioned. By the time we get to the end of this message, the seven-year tribulation period will be over. Jesus will be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. And forever, we will be changed. This is an exciting passage. We enter into the beginning of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, and the world is going to be transformed. And I look and I think, man, how much I want this world to be transformed. I think, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, when is that going to take place? I don't know the day or the hour. I'm hoping soon, as many of you are, I'm sure, are also hoping soon. Uh, but we can see how this is going to come about and how it's all going to finish. And I promise you, this is going to finish well. So Daniel chapter 12, beginning in verse 8, Bible says this, Daniel writing, Although I heard, I did not understand. And then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, 
and none of the wicked will understand, but the wise shall understand. And then verse 11, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Verse 12, blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you go your way until the end, Daniel, for you shall rest and you will rise to your inheritance at the end of days. Listen, I, I, sorry, I was just eating a, uh, some carrots just before I started here. So uh, I want to apologize for keep going like this. I don't want anything to fall out on the camera. Hey, listen, as we look at this passage, there's a lot in here. Again, this is exciting. Uh, but there's a few lessons that we're going to take away. Ready? First lesson is this. Don't worry about it. Everything will go according to God's plan. Remember what's going on here. Daniel has had a vision that began back in chapter 10, and it takes us all the way through to the end of chapter 12. And Daniel is involved in a conversation. There's two angels that are on a different sides of the bank of the river. We saw that last time. And in the middle of the river, hovering over the water, uh, perhaps even walking on the water, was another person. And uh, some commentators say that that was another angel. Others say it's the Lord himself. I teach that I believe it is the Lord himself. And Daniel, at this point, he was asking an angel earlier, but now he's asking the Lord. What's the answer to your question? If you're with us last time in Daniel chapter 12, the angels wanted to know what was going on. And, uh, and here we find out Daniel twice now is wanting to know what in the world is going on. So it appears he's asking the Lord, uh, what's the interpretation of this, all these different visions that I'm having? Again, the visions began in chapter 10, take us all the way through to the end of chapter 12. And as the book is concluding, remember back, uh, we had this in, in one of the messages, that Daniel became sick, he became ill from the persecution that he saw was coming to the Jews in the last days, to his people, and also... He was bothered that he did not understand many things about this vision. And here, after Daniel asked for some clarity, give me, can I have some understanding in verse 8 about what is going on? The answer comes in verse 9. Go your way, Daniel. The words are closed and sealed up until the time of the end. Daniel, it doesn't concern you. But I promise you, everything will work out exactly as God said it would. Listen, considering Bible prophecy, consider these words from the Lord himself in Isaiah chapter 46, where the Bible says this. Remember the former things of old, says God. Isaiah chapter 46, beginning of verse 9. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. And then in verse 13 of Isaiah 46, he says, I bring my righteousness near, it shall not be far off, my salvation shall not linger, I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. 
What's happening in Daniel chapter 12 is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 46, those verses that we just read. God said, I tell you the end from the beginning so you can understand how it's all going to go down. And then he said this, because I said it, I am going to do it. I will do all my pleasure. It is God's pleasure to do this. He is going to bring righteousness to Jerusalem, to Zion, and it is for his glory that he is going to do this. I believe, listen, I believe that we are living in the days that are leading up to all of these things taking place. So I want you to think of this. What Daniel's going to conclude with is what takes place at the end of the tribulation period. The tribulation period itself is seven years long. Uh, you have the rapture that takes place, even for, if you don't believe in the rapture. First Thessalonians chapter 4 still teaches it. Calls it the, the catching up or the harpazo in the Greek. So the harpazo is going to take place. And then sometime after that, the tribulation period is going to take place. Listen, I believe we are witnessing events that, that are leading me to believe the tribulation is coming up just around the corner. Because the prophecies of the second coming of Christ are not prophecies about the rapture. They're prophecies that will take place before Jesus returns and then onto the millennial kingdom. So if we are watching them begin to take place, I'm thinking, man, we must be so close to the rapture of the church. Listen. Think of it like this. Just think, if the harpazo, the rapture were to happen next week, we are only a little over seven years, maybe a little bit longer away before we're coming back with Jesus at the end of the tribulation period and, and experiencing what we're going to be reading about tonight at the end of the tribulation period. That's not that long. I went to Catholic school first through eighth grade. That seemed like forever, but that's eight years. Think, how long does it take for eight years to be fulfilled? How long does it take for 10 years or seven years to be fulfilled? Just think, we could be experiencing this in a very short time. Of this passage, Charles Dyer writes, as the time of the end draws closer, we should expect to see our understanding of Bible prophecy increase. World events will finally begin to line up more precisely with events predicted in the Bible. I say, amen. That's what we are seeing. This is incredible. He wrote this in 1993. He continued, when the morning newspaper and the evening news start sounding more like the words of Daniel, Jesus, or the Apostle John, our prophetic blinders will be removed. I say amen, folks, because I believe uh, we are, we are we're witnessing this. We're living this. It is incredible. And then he continued, God does not predict the future, and his prophecies will all begin to make sense to us when world events parallel the predictions found in the Bible. This is truly amazing to me. When I think back to when I first started teaching Bible prophecy over 25 years ago, and it would be a long time, you'd have an event that would take place perhaps in Israel, probably in Israel, and you'd be able to say, well, the Bible says this is going to happen in the last days. I wonder how this is going to shape up. And then uh, six months later, and then uh, uh, six months after that, something would take place. And then six months after that, and then it started picking up faster and faster. You look at the last few years, especially the last year, and then you look at the last six months, and you go, wow, it is like this. It seems like every single time I look at the news, I can look at the news at 12 o'clock, and it's going to tell me all kinds of crazy things. I can look at 1230. It's going to have even more that's added to it. Folks, we are living in the days when need, we need to be looking up because Jesus is coming. Think of it like this. As the world is falling apart, everything is going exactly as God planned. Jesus is coming. So number one, 
Don't worry about it. Everything is going to go according to God's plan. Number two, don't lose heart. You'll be safely home. I want you to think again in Daniel. Think of this. Just make this connection. At the end of Daniel chapter 12, in verse 13, Daniel's told this, go your way until the end. Go your way, Daniel, until the end, for you shall rest. And you're going to rise to your inheritance at the end of days. In other words, Daniel, these things that, that you're writing about, they're not going to take place in your lifetime. So just go on, fulfill your calling, and then you're going to go to your rest. In other words, you're going to die. And then at the end of days, you're going to be raised up to new life. You're going to be part of the resurrection to your inheritance. This is really cool. But it's also a reminder for you and I, because we can get all worked up over everything we see going on. And I think the message is still the same to us. Listen, just rest. Do what you're supposed to do. Tell other people about Jesus. Give them the good news. Don't lose heart and know this. You will be safely home. I believe it's going to be soon. But what if it's not for a while? Either way, we rest in the Lord. We will be safely home. Note here uh, some things. A, we note some are going to be prepared for heaven. Uh, look at verse 10 again, just the first part. First part of verse 10 says, Many shall be purified, they will be made white, and they will be refined. Daniel, you want to know what's going to happen at then? Let me give you a little bit. This is what's going to happen. Again, many will be purified. They will be made white. They will be refined. What's this? This is talking about uh, salvation. Hosea chapter 5, and specifically, this is really speaking to the Jews during the tribulation period. Hosea chapter 5, verse 15 speaks of this. Hosea chapter 5, verse 15, God says this, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. What's this a reference to? This is right here where Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, verse 10, the first part, many shall be purified, made white and refined in their affliction. They're going to be refined. But notice how the Lord says, I will return again to my place. They the Jews will acknowledge their face, the, their, their offense, and then they will seek me in their affliction. And they're going to they're find me. And we see, this, we see this working out. There's another verse that parallels this also. So you have Daniel chapter 12, verse 10, the first part. You have Hosea chapter 5, verse 15. The Lord says, I'm going to go to heaven until you acknowledge your offense, until you cry out to me. And then I'm going to return. But it's going to happen when you're suffering during the tribulation period. We also see this in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. They will look upon him whom they pierced. But here's another passage, Zechariah chapter 13, beginning of verse 8. And it shall come to pass in all the land, <coughs> says the Lord, that two thirds of it shall be cut off and die. But one third shall be left in it. This is speaking of Israel. And then God says this, of the one third that's left, I will bring the one third through the fire. Again, it's this, it's this transforming process in the Jews during the tribulation period. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name 
and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, this is my God. Folks, this is just absolutely incredible. You look at this passage in Zechariah chapter 13. God says they're going to go through this refining fire. I'm going to heaven. They're going to go through the refining fire in the tribulation period. At the end of the tribulation period, they're going to call out to me. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. What do they do? At the end of the tribulation period, they call out uh, to him whom they pierced, and they recognize him as the Lord. Hosea chapter 5, verse 15. The Lord says, I will go back to my place until you recognize your offense, and then when you're refined, guess what? I'm going to come back again. Also, you want to know another passage? Matthew chapter 23. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. It's just a few days before he's going to be put upon the cross. And what does he say? He says to them, he calls them hypocrites, and you've killed the prophets before me, and so forth. Then he says this, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, I will go to my place. And then once you recognize your offense and you've been through the refiner's fire, then you will cry out to me, who is the Lord. And that is when I'm coming back. You will not see me again until you say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So that is what's going on here in Daniel chapter 12, verse 10, the first part of verse 10. It's talking about Jews during the tribulation period crying out to the Lord. But then... So some are going to be prepared for heaven. However, we also find out in verse 10, some are going to prepare themselves for judgment. Notice this says, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand. This verse discloses a great separation uh, um, that takes place during the second half of the tribulation period. A great separation of people. Uh, you're going to have two different sets of people. We'll see the other set in just a second. Well, actually, we already see the set that's being refined, uh, but then that's going to come into play here in just a second, you'll see. Uh, but we have the two different sets of people, those being prepared for heaven, those being prepared for judgment. I think we're watching a separation today when we watch the different world events that are taking place, and you see, you, you hear about family dynamics and people who used to be friends and church that are not together anymore, and uh, the things that are said by people who claim to be Christian, it's just a really strange thing. In fact, I read a report just today that said something like 90% of American Christians now say that there isn't really such a thing as sin or something like that. I'm thinking this is just crazy. So we live in this world where those who call themselves Christian, listen, I want you to think of the words of Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, there will be many who will say to me on that day, but Lord, Lord, we did this in your name and we did that in your name. All these good works we did in your name. You say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Also in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, during the last days, perilous times will come. And then he lists all the different characteristics, and he says the people have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. They're going to think they're spiritual, but they're not really going to know me. So it's alarming. But anyways, we see the separation that's taking place right now. God is preparing people for heaven, and other people are preparing themselves for judgment. Think of this. Again, verse 10 says, The wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. Uh, this implies a few different things here. One of them is that as you go closer and closer into the tribulation, even though people are going to know what's going on, they're going to want to deny God. 
uh, and they're even going to know that their judgment is coming during the tribulation period, but they're going to still continue in their sin, even knowing judgment is coming. Think of this. This is what Revelation chapter 9 says, and this is during the tribulation after many judgments have already come upon the planet. The Bible tells us this, they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. In other words, even though they know judgment has come upon them from God, even though they, they're experiencing great pain from those judgments, they still prefer to continue in their sins. And this is what Daniel is, is saying here. They will do wickedly and none of the wicked will understand. Second Timothy chapter three also goes on and says this, that in the last days, evil men will grow worse and worse. That is a parallel of what Daniel is saying here. They're just going to grow worse and worse. The wicked will continue in their wickedness, increase in their wickedness, but they will not understand. However, so last category here, third category. So A, some will be prepared for heaven. B, some will prepare themselves for judgment. They're not going to want the Lord. They're preparing themselves. They're knowing judgment's coming. But then C, some will understand. So again, the last part of verse 10 says this, the wicked won't understand, but the wise will understand. Listen, this gives us a few different uh, uh, understandings right here in this text. One of them is that God wants us to understand. Bible prophecy is meant to be understood. He tells us here, the wise will understand. Think of this. We are told, coming from churches and pastors in this day that we live in, you need to ignore the Old Testament. Uh, you need to ignore any passages in the Bible about Bible prophecy. In fact, any passage about Bible prophecy is just allegorical and they were just poetic passages because the writers didn't really know how else to write things. I mean, I hear these things. These are coming from pastors who were trained in seminaries and they say these things. We're told you can't understand. You shouldn't even waste your time to try and understand. It is a waste of time to even read those books. Imagine that God puts these books together for us to understand and pastors tell people that's a waste of time. God's word is a waste of time. Wow, that's crazy. You shouldn't waste your time to understand. You can't understand. It's not for you to understand. Don't even read those books of the Bible. Listen, I want you to think of this. The Pharisees, in the time of Jesus, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus came the first time. He's standing before them, the religious leaders. And he says, you hypocrites, you see the signs in the sky, it's red and threatening. Uh, when you look at the signs in the sky, the signs in the weather, you know whether or not you should sail uh, a boat or not. You hypocrites. You know the signs of the time. You know what the Bible says. The signs are given about my coming. And yet you're denying. You can read the signs in the weather and you pay attention to that. And you know the signs about my first coming, but you completely ignore them. And I'm standing right before you. You're hypocrites. And you even know what the Bible says about these signs, but you choose to ignore them. Hence, that's why when Jesus was born in Bethlehem and the wise men, they came from the east, the Magi, they came from the east over from the area of Iraq. They come into Jerusalem. They go before Herod and uh, Herod has to call the religious leaders because wise men want to know where the Messiah is born, the king of the Jews. And Herod shook up. The Pharisees don't or the religious leaders don't even care. 
And Herod asked the religious leaders, hey, where's the Messiah to be born? Oh, over there in Bethlehem. It's about five miles away from here. The religious leaders didn't even care. They knew what the signs were about his first coming. They completely ignored it. So Jesus called them hypocrites. And then here we find with the second the signs of the second coming of Christ, we see a very similar dynamic taking place in the world, in the world of churches today. Don't pay attention to those things. But here we are told to understand. Peter said in the last days, 2 Peter chapter 3, that there will be scoffers in the last days saying, where's the promise of his coming? In other words, there will be people who are formerly part of a church or are pastors that make fun of people who study Bible prophecy and say, the promise of his coming, here's what the Bible says, here's the promise of his coming. They make fun of you. Wow, we live in those days. But listen, God wants us to understand. The first Chronicles, the sons of Iscar during the time of David, they understood the times, they had an understanding of the times and they knew what Israel ought to do. They understood. Jesus tells us to watch. The disciples asked him, what's the sign of your coming? So he told them. He didn't tell them so we wouldn't know. He told them so we would know. He tells us to watch. We're told to understand. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, when Jesus is talking about the abomination of desolation, you'll see there in parentheses, let the reader understand. If yet we're told by people say, you can't understand, you shouldn't understand, you shouldn't waste your time trying to understand, don't even read. Ah, and then book of Revelation chapter 1 verse 3, God says, there's a blessing to those who read here and keep the words of this book. And yet, teachers today in churches are saying, don't waste your time with this. Paul, the apostle said, don't be ignorant of these things. Don't be an ignoramus about these things. That's what the Bible tells us. Listen, God wants us to understand, and God says here in verse 10, the wise will understand. Here's the other thing this also shows us, this will be real short and we'll move on, is that the implication from chapter 10, the wicked will see it and the wicked will not understand, but the wise will understand. It, it, it appears that what's happening, something is happening in the world, and, the, and both the saved and unsaved, the the those who are seeking the Lord, those aren't seeking the Lord. All the world is going to know something weird is going on. I think in a little bit like today. But this weirdness is only going to increase, by the way, folks. Um, they're going to know something's wrong. Both sides are going to know something is wrong. And yet, it's only the wise who are going to see it, and the wise will understand. The other, part, the other people are going to see it. They aren't going to, ah, we don't, we don't really care about that stuff. Well, let's move on. So number one, don't worry about it. Everything will go according to God's plan. Number two, don't lose heart. You'll be safely home. Number three, last thing, don't be discouraged. A new world is coming. <clears throat> A new world is coming. Look at this, verse 11. And from that time, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. Wait a minute. Haven't I read elsewhere in the Bible? It's 1,260 days. What is this? 1,290 days. Verse 12. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Wait a minute. This doesn't even make any sense. I've read in the Bible that uh, half of the tribulation period is 1,260 days. All of a sudden, this says 1,290 days, and then another time period, 1,335 days. Uh, what's going on? Is there, is there a typo here? Uh, is there a misprint in the Bible? Did the scribes get it wrong? Are the prophecies all messed up? 
No, that's not it. I asked some of my colleagues what they thought about this. <coughs> A few different answers are out there. But I'm going to give you my best understanding of what's taking place with the difference in these days. First of all, A, what's taking place is the cleanup. The Bible is clear. Listen, the Bible is clear. The first half of the tribulation is 1,260 days. And the second half of the tribulation period is 1,260 days. During the uh, first half of the tribulation, Revelation chapter 11, verse 13, God says, I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days. 1,260 days. That's the first half of the tribulation period. These two witnesses are witnessing in Jerusalem. And we know that because when Antichrist shows up on the scene in Jerusalem to make himself as God, he eliminates these two witnesses at the middle of the tribulation. So, these two witnesses, the first half of the tribulation is 1,260 days. And then also regarding the second half of the tribulation period, immediately following when Antichrist sets himself in the temple to be worshiped as God, Revelation chapter 12, verse 6 says, the woman Israel fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,000 260 days. So we know from those passages, excuse me, <coughs> plus various other passages in the Bible regarding Bible prophecy, mostly for the most part Daniel or Revelation, that the tribulation period is a total of seven years, two different periods, 42 months and 42 months. 1,260 days, 1,260 days, three and a half years, time, times, and half a time. So uh, three and a half years and three and a half years, all right? So two different periods of uh, three and a half years or 1,260 days. But here we read that there's 1,290 days all of a sudden. Again, what is... Verse 11 say, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, that is when Antichrist sits in the temple and demands to be worshiped as God. Middle of the tribulation period. So from that time until, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. So if book of Revelation says it's 1,260 days from Antichrist in the temple and the abomination. Daniel says 1,290 days. Which one's wrong? Well, they're both right. Well, how can that be? There's an extra 30 days in Daniel. Why? Damon Duck notes this. One, it will take time to rid the earth of Antichrist's impact. Uh, this time period is a 30 days time. Jesus comes back in 1,260 days, and then it's going to take 30 days to clean up this earth. It's going to be worldwide cleanup day. Uh, everything is going to be a, a mess. The extra 30 days is how long it's going to take to clean up the mess that Antichrist has made of this world and to prepare the world for what Jesus has planned. But also, I want you to think of this. I can go down the main street in my own valley where I live, and I can see it's going to take at least 30 days to clean, up, to clean up some of the mess here. But it's like this all over the globe. There are places that are absolutely a catastrophe already. But imagine going through the tribulation period and what everything is going to look like. So you're going to have this. It's going to take time to rid the world of Antichrist's impact and also just the mess and to prepare the world for uh, what Jesus has planned for the world during the millennial kingdom. And here's the neat thing is 
you and I get to be involved in this. This is totally cool. We're going to be involved in a worldwide cleanup day. I'm excited about that because that time the worldwide cleanup day is actually going to work. But also number two, so number one, it will take time to rid the earth of Antichrist impact. Number two, it will take time to gather the elect and assemble them in Israel. So what is that about? So we have the cleanup. You all know what else we have? We have the setup. So the elect have to be gathered into Israel. Listen, what's going on here? You have the cleanup. B, you have the setup. Let me show you again. Okay, we have 1,290 days. The cleanup, verse 12. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. What is that about? So we've already had an additional 30 days. Now we take the additional 30 days and add another 45 days to it. That's a total of 75 days. This leaves us scratching our head and wondering what in the world is going on. So what are the additional 45 days that are added on to the 30 days? Although the exact reason seems to be probably possibly sealed until that time, we can know for certain. You want to know what is for certain? Something tremendous is going to happen. That's right. Something totally awesome is going to happen. How do we know that? Because verse 12 tells us, blessed is he, look at that in verse 12 again, who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. So we know that something tremendous is going to happen. Listen, there are two things that this implies. If we have blessed is he, again, Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. In other words, fulfills all the way to the end. This implies two things then, good and bad. What does it imply? One, not everyone will experience a good end. And number two, however, everyone who trusts in Christ will be blessed. Again, blessed are the ones who make it all the way to the very end. So what is it? It is the opinion of many teachers and myself that in the 45-day period, this extra 45 days, the first 30 days clean up, the extra 45 days is when Jesus will judge the nations, the good, the bad, the sheep, and the goats. Listen, this is what Matthew chapter 25 says. This is Jesus speaking. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. There it is, dividing the sheep from the goats. And the Lord will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So what do we have here? Matthew chapter 25, the separation of the sheep from the goats. I believe it's going to take place. This is why we have these extra days in Daniel, 1,335 days, the separation of the sheep from the goats. Jesus says, blessed are those who make it to the 1,335 days. And on his right hand, he says here, Matthew 25, they will be blessed of my father. Those are the sheep. However, Verse 46 of Matthew chapter 25 is talking about the goats, those separated on the left. What does Jesus say about them? And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. 
wow, this is just something else, isn't it? So you think of it, the day's coming. So how's this work? I'm going to put it all together in a nutshell for you. <coughs> We're almost done here. But this is what happens. Rapture takes place. If you're in Christ Jesus right now, you're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in there. The harpazo is going to happen. Call it whatever you want. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 teaches it. There will be a catching up to meet the Lord in there. Rapture takes place. Tribulation begins sometime after the rapture. The tribulation period is seven years long. We've already talked about all of that. Okay. If you've been raptured, you are coming back with Jesus. He's on his horse. He casts the false prophet and antichrist into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. He rides over to Jerusalem. We are going with him. We arrive in Jerusalem. Guess what? Because we are raptured, we have a glorified body. That takes place, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when we are caught up, we're going to get our new bodies. So we're going to come back with Jesus. We're going to have our new bodies. We're going to rule and reign on this earth with Jesus. Ah, woo, that's great. Okay. Here's the, here's the catch. During the tribulation period, there's going to be Jews and Gentiles that are coming to faith in the Lord. Uh, in fact, the 144,000 Jews are called the first fruits of the tribulation period. And then you have the two witnesses in Jerusalem. We already talked about them. You're going to have many Jews. We already talked about the third that are saved. So there's going to be many Jews that are going to be saved. But there's also going to be those that are saved uh, that of the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation of every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. So Jews and Gentiles are going to be saved during the tribulation period. Many of those are going to be martyred for their faith. Not the 144,000, but others. They're going to be martyred for their faith. Okay. But in the tribulation period, people are still going to survive. Some who received Christ made it all the way to the end of the tribulation period. They, they didn't lose their life yet. They managed to prep their world, their world through the tribulation period, and they survived. And there are the other group during the tribulation period that... Uh, that uh, we're not believers in Christ, and they also survive through the tribulation period. If my numbers are correct, half of the world is going to die from the judgments that come during the tribulation period, and then believers are going to be martyred. Okay, they wouldn't receive the mark of the beast. So when you get to the end of the tribulation period, there's going to be survivors, some who are believers, and, and many who are not, most who are not believers. I guess they're at the end. You come through the sheep and goats. The goats the, are the non-believers. They are judged for all of eternity. The sheep are the believers that survive during the tribulation period. They're going to inhabit the planet during the millennial kingdom. So what do you have now at the beginning of the millennial kingdom? You have us who are believers in Christ now. We're going to have our glorified bodies. And there's going to be the other people who came to faith in Jesus during the millennial kingdom. They don't have their glorified bodies yet. This is just something else. And we are all going to be part of, uh, of this millennial kingdom. I'm excited about what is coming. I think it's fantastic. Just a few more things. Hence, blessed, verse 12, are you if you make it to the 1,335 days. You survived the tribulation period. You received Christ. Uh, you made it. Amen. Awesome. Best thing to do is to receive Christ now, not go through the tribulation period. But a few closing things is, um, is this. Although the understanding seems to be sealed about all of these facts, uh, I think we're going to continue to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of what's going to take place. I just want to close with a few thoughts because these are kind of joyful regarding the millennial kingdom. In the millennial kingdom, topographical changes must take place on the earth. 
We know that because the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that uh, the area of Israel is going to be like the Garden of Eden. I I think that is just absolutely fantastic. I don't know what the rest of the world is going to be like, but maybe, maybe there used to be uh, these Gene Dixon predictions back in the 1960s that said California is going to be a great big earthquake and California is going to fall into the ocean and then uh, it's going to slip away. And then the inland areas would look like that picture you just saw up there on the screen. Gabe, pull that picture back up there. Look at that. Can you imagine if you live in one of those hot, dusty inland areas, if that's what it looks like in the millennial kingdom? I can imagine that because I live in one of those hot, dusty areas in the inland areas. Listen, I don't know what the whole world is going to be like, the whole globe as far as geography. In fact, I tell you what I do. I'm going to invite Don Perkins back with me next Sunday night, and we're going to have a great conversation about this because he's an expert on these things. I want to get more understanding of what's going to look like geography. What's the topography going to look like? I can't wait. It's going to be an exciting time. I want to talk about heaven because we need a little bit more of that. But nevertheless, there's going to be topographical changes that will take place. Definitely the area of Israel in the Mideast will be like the Garden of Eden. And then the waters will be changed also. The Dead Sea will be teeming with life and people will be fishing in the Dead Sea during the Millennial Kingdom. Think of this. Ezekiel 47 says, beginning in verse 7, When I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region. It goes down into the valley and it enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the rivers go, will live. That's exciting. Man, there will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there. For they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to Engelheim. They will be places for spreading their nets along the bank of the river on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. Wow, I look at this and you think this is during the millennial kingdom. This is exciting. Notice how the last part of that verse says their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. What's the medicine for if we're in our glorified bodies? I believe it's this. I'll ask my friend Don Perkins next week. But I believe it's this, that during the millennial kingdom, again, there's going to be people who come to faith in Christ during the millennial kingdom. They're not going to have their glorified bodies and they're going to be able to eat of those leaves for medicine for their bodies. But I'll find out from sure, for sure when we get there, but I'll ask, also ask uh, Don uh, next week. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. Jesus could cause all of this to happen like that if he wanted to. But you want to know what? He wants to involve us in the process. And I'm, I, I'm thankful. I can't wait to be part of the process of what he is going to do. I have been to Israel many, many times over the years. I've had the privilege of traveling different places for ministry and taking other groups to different places. It's just phenomenal. Uh, some of the travel seems to be interrupted right now, rather interesting right now. But nevertheless, I imagine going on worldwide cleanup with Jesus and going over to Israel and to Jerusalem with Jesus, this is just going to be off the charts. I want you to think of one very last thing. You ready? Okay, so I said there'll be topographical changes must take place on earth. The waters will be changed. And then 
marriage supper of the Lamb on the earth during the millennial kingdom, at the beginning of it. Notice how I have on this last one a question mark? This is why, because there's debate on this. I'm just going to lay it out there. I'm only throwing, because I'm not real sure, all right? Um, most of the people I know, my colleagues, will say the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place in heaven. The rapture of the church takes place while the tribulation is going down, down here. Uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb is taking place in heaven. Most of my friends uh, teach that. And they'll say, well, the, the marriage feast would last seven years as traditional of the Jewish uh, marriage feast, uh, or seven uh, days, hence, in heaven during the seven-year tribulation period, the marriage supper would be taking place. Some of the most well-known uh, Bible teachers believe that. But there are others, uh, mainly Messianic Jews, that teach a little bit different. Uh, they will say this, that the marriage is taking, uh, supper of the Lamb takes place at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. And the uh, extra, all the extra days, the cleanup and then the judgment of the sheep and goat nations, all of that prepares this world for the beginning of the millennial kingdom and the marriage supper of the Lamb. I just want you to think about this. It is possible that the blessing on he who waits for the 1,335 days is speaking of the marriage supper. The thought is this. This supper will not be in heaven, there's a quote, though many have taught that. It must be on earth because in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, we are going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they are not going to be resurrected until the end of the tribulation period. If that's correct, then the marriage supper takes place after the days of cleanup, after the judgment of the sheep and goat nations, and then we enter into it. I find it, I, I just find it very fascinating. Other commentators note that this is most significant. In the Jewish wedding, the bride goes to the bridegroom's home, meets the parents, and announces the engagement. So again, the bride goes to the groom's home, meets the parents, announces the engagement. And then one year goes by, and the final marriage supper occurs at the end of the engagement at the bride's bride's home. Did you get that? The bride goes to the groom's home, announces the engagement. A year later, the groom comes to the bride's home. Interesting. If this is how this works out. Before the tribulation, you have the bride taken out of the world, going up to the bridegroom's home in heaven. And we meet the father. At the end of the tribulation period, after the betrothal is open, we come with Jesus to the bride's home, to earth for the marriage. Hence, we rule and reign with Jesus. Listen, I don't know for sure. I have very close friends on both sides of this argument. Some might even email me tomorrow and tell me I'm wrong. I should connect them both because um, they're going to be arguing against me or with me. But, but whatever it is, I look at this. Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, I do know this. The Bible tells us, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Daniel chapter 12, blessed are those. And in the meantime, we can rest in the Lord because everything is going to happen exactly as God said it would. Listen, it's fantastic. I've had a great time in the book of Daniel. I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm going to have Don Perkins out next week. And then the week after that, guess what? I'm going to have Don Stewart. And then I have some other surprises that are coming up for you. It's going to be great. But I want you to do this. Do me a favor. Go to HopeForOurTimes.com. That's my website. 
But all our videos, we're going to be posting more and more videos at HopeForOurTimes.com. And also our Prophecy Conference is coming up June 25 and June 26 in Huntington Beach, California. I really hope to see you all there. We only had about 50 spaces left the other day. I don't know what's left right now. It is going to be an absolutely terrific conference. I hope that you all can make it. And who knows? The way things are going, this may very well be the last conference we're ever going to be able to have. But listen, uh, keep your head up. Jesus said, when you see these things begin to take place, look up and lift up your head. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Lift, lift up your head because your redemption draws near. Jesus is coming. God bless. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.